Welcome, everyone. <laughs> so, for those of you in media land, this is uh, part three of our um, three-part study about knowing, knowing God. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Uh, get that later. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for this night, for bringing us here. And we thank you again for giving us your, your word that we can study through so we can grow deeper in you, learn more about you. God, I pray as we, as we study things that we may already know, that we grow deeper in those things and we, it becomes more true to us. Anything new to us, that we, that we believe your scripture, that we see your word and believe that, that you spoke to us through the writers and we see how much you love us through all that you've done for us. And we see how much you love us through through your, your three-person Godhead. And I pray that we have our eyes and our hearts ready to receive from you and not from me, but to hear what you have to say to us. And I pray that Again, you just speak, speak through me, guide my words, and bless this time, God. And thank you so much. Praise on your name. Amen. So, I've began these last three studies all very similar, starting off with uh, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. It's so crucial that we start from the beginning about talking about God, because God was at the beginning, <clears throat> not simply created at the, created at the beginning because he was not created we saw the last two studies that god is not a creation god has always been um but looking here again at genesis 1 1 and 2 in the beginning god created the heavens and the earth the earth was without form and void and darkness was on the face of the earth and the spirit of god hovered over the face of the waters As I said last week, um, Jesus, in in name as the Son of God, is not mentioned or named here in Genesis one. We talked and spoke how he is, in fact, here at the beginning. We looked through uh, John, uh, one fourteen, says the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory and the glory of the only begotten Father, full of grace and truth. So Jesus here is the word mentioned there. And in John 1, 1 and 2, he says, In the beginning was the word, and the word was God, and the word was with God. Uh, He was in the beginning with God. So we see there that Jesus was God. Jesus was there at the beginning, even though his name is not there at verse 1 and 2, but he was there. Also it says in Isaiah 44, Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and the last. Besides me, there is no God. It is also referenced in Revelation 22, 13. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. The triune Godhead, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, were all literally there at the beginning. Uh, They were there... um, eternity past and they'll be around for eternity future 
And this truth of um, God being our Alpha and Omega is actually hidden in verse 1 and 2. I learned this last week um, that in the Hebrew, that I believe it's after God's name that there's the, the Alpha and the Omega letters. And it's, it's neat that right there embedded in the, in the beginning of the whole Bible that God as the Alpha and Omega are mentioned right there. And Jesus and the Holy Spirit and the Father are collectively called the Alpha and the Omega. So even though we don't see Jesus' name or, or mention of the Son of God in our English, He is in fact there. The whole Godhead is there named as um, Alpha and Omega. So a cool little side note there. Um, but as we've seen through the last two studies, Father and the Son, we've seen that the Father and Son have come down to earth to encounter and interact with with mankind um, doing their, um, their ministries with people. Uh, the Father came down to to meet with and talk with people. We saw that. Jesus came down um, pre-birth um, as Jesus uh, in the manger to come and talk to people and give them encouragement to let them know that God is with them. Um, it was It's really neat seeing and knowing that um, Jesus comes down as the personal messenger of God to give that face-to-face message from God. That's why we saw last week that Jesus is called an angel sometimes because he is also a messenger, but he's giving his own message, which is which is neat to see that God cares that much about us. He comes down to us. But as we finished last week, we saw that Jesus, when he left, when he uh, after he died on the cross, rose again, walked on the earth for forty days, and before he ascended to heaven, he told his disciples uh, again that he was going to be not leaving them alone, not leaving them by themselves, not leaving them orphans, but to leave them with a helper, as as he promised and as the, as God the Father promised. And that helper is the Holy Spirit. He says that, he says that there in John fourteen sixteen through 17, And I pray to the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever, the Spirit of truth, whom the Word cannot receive, because it is ni- because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you, and he will be and he will be in you. So Jesus says from his own lips that the Holy Spirit already dwells with them, with us, and he says that for them in the near future the Holy Spirit will be in them. And then later he says in Acts well we read it in Acts chapter one verse eight. So he says, But you shall receive power when the holy spirit has come upon you and here we see another another aspect of the holy spirit that he tells the disciples that very soon the holy spirit will come upon them and empower them to do or we'll see as we go through well if you've gone through the book of acts you've seen how the holy spirit works through them to give them uh, supernatural abilities to fulfill god's glory So there are the three ways, the three general ways that the Holy Spirit is involved in our lives, as we just said and saw in those two verses. 
The Holy Spirit is with us. The Holy Spirit is in us. And the Holy Spirit is upon us. And he's not all three of those things um, simultaneously or or naturally. Uh, we'll see what that means as we go. Um, to start off with us, uh, the Holy Spirit dwells with all unbelievers uh, prior to becoming saved. It says in John sixteen eight that when he has come, referring to the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. So the Holy Spirit is going to come for the unsaved, for the unbelievers, for, for those who don't have a relationship with God, uh, for conviction. And that's his, that's his purpose as his um, with us characteristic, that he comes to convict people. And if you don't know, conviction means um, to convince you or to convince someone that they are a sinner and need of a savior. That's the context of conviction here in the scripture. To convince that you are a sinner or to be convinced if you're talking about yourself and that you are in need of a savior. So the Holy Spirit was was with us before we ever knew Jesus or knew that we even needed Jesus. And the Holy Spirit is the one who leads us to Jesus. And he does that same exact thing throughout all of Scripture from Old Testament to New Testament. The difference between the Old Testament and New Testament with this aspect is that in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit was pointing people to the coming Messiah. We, since Jesus' death and resurrection, we look back at the Messiah. Uh, Galatians 3.24 says, Therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. And the Holy Spirit works through the law to convict us that as we see the law, as we see God's, God's commands and we measure ourselves up to God's command, God's law, that we see that we are not perfect, we see that we are sinners, we see that we are literally paying our way to, to judgment, to hell, that's what we see in um, in Romans when he says, "For the wages of sin is death." You know, through the Holy Spirit, we see that we are convicted, that we are destined to judgment. And if if you have any sort of wisdom, you know that if you need saving, well, before that. If you realize that you you have a problem, then you want to find a solution, and that solution is Jesus, and that's where the Holy Spirit points us to. In Romans ten four it says, "For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes." So, before Jesus came around, people would look to the law, or the Holy Spirit would would point us to the law, showing us that we are not perfect, that we need a Savior. But we have in Christ that He is the end of the law, meaning that instead of looking to the Ten Commandments, for example, 
and seeing that we aren't perfect, we can measure ourselves up to Jesus and see his, see his perfection, see um, that the love that he shows. So Jesus replaced the law of the Old Testament with his law of love. Now the Holy Spirit convicts us through Christ and we see that we need a Savior through him. So the Holy Spirit's been with us uh, since we were born, uh, always guiding us to, to, um, to the Messiah. And the moment, we, the moment we receive Christ as our Savior, then the Holy Spirit then automatically, as a, as a group package, as I like to tell the junior hires, there's a lot of stuff that happens all at the same time when we become Christians. Um, but one of the many things, one of the many blessings that God gives us uh, as we become a child of God is that we also receive the Holy Spirit in our lives, in our hearts. It says in, in Ephesians one thirteen and 14, In Him you also trusted, after you have heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also... Having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. So, Paul is saying there in Ephesians that for those of us who have heard the truth and believed the truth, we have also received the Holy Spirit in us, and God has sealed the Holy Spirit in our lives. And it's so neat because, well, I don't want to get ahead of myself because I'm going to almost say what I was going to say in a few minutes. So, we'll get there in a moment. But God seals the Holy Spirit inside us. He gives us that promise that we will have the Holy Spirit in us along with having Jesus in us. 1 Corinthians 3.16 says, Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? So he says that as, as a believer, we are the temple of God because Jesus dwells in us. And also, if we have Jesus in us, then we also have the Spirit of God in us. 1 Corinthians six nineteen and 20 says, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For, for, you, are, for you were bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So again, Paul says there in the same book that our body is a temple of God, um, God in spirit form and uh, as Jesus lives in us, therefore we need to act like we are God's property, that God owns us. We need to take care of ourselves for the glory of God. Uh, as the Holy Spirit is within us, there's a few, uh, there's, there's many things that the Holy Spirit does in our lives, but generally... There's three different aspects that, that stand out to me. And that's, um, he regenerates us, he restrains, and I'll explain that when we get there, and he re- redirects. Um, in, re- in regeneration, or rebirth, or being born again, uh, that's what uh, the Holy Spirit does in our, every, in our everyday lives. So Jesus Christ, when we believe on him, when we receive his his blood that paid the price for our sins, 
That, that brought us salvation. That got us access into heaven. Um, when God the Father looks at us, He sees perfection because we are covered with Jesus Christ's blood that forgave us. Yet, however, even though we are saved and we are Christians and we are going to heaven, we are still sinners. So on an everyday basis as a Christian, the Holy Spirit saves us on an everyday basis as uh, regeneration, as uh, purification. So John 3, 3, Jesus said, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. He's talking about this, this spiritual regeneration of the heart that that you need to be born again of the heart to have a new heart to enter into the kingdom of God, which is heaven. To, to be named a child of God, you must be born again. And it's so neat that when, you know, part of that package deal I was, I was mentioning earlier is when you receive Christ... Uh, the Holy Spirit inside of you makes you a new creation. Second Corinthians five seventeen says, "Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away; behold, all things have become new." You know th- that the old sinful man and woman that we used to be, God has washed away through the Holy Spirit, and we have become a new person. We see that picture. In, in baptism, that when you go under the water, um, that is your old sinful self dying to your sin. And when you come up out of the water, you become new. And that, that picture is what the Holy Spirit is doing inside of us, that our old sinful self is being, is being killed and put to death and buried. And then we resurrect spiritually and become a new creation to, to get a clean slate. Titus 3, 5, and 7 says, He saves us through the washing of the regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that having been justified by grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So again, we see that the washing of regeneration is is key as a believer. Again, it says there, um, that is the renewing of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is renewing our lives, um, not simply just um, no, I, my, my brain just went blank. <laughs> um, but He poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ. So we receive again, that renewing because of Jesus and through the Holy Spirit, um, His His work in our lives. And, and in and through that, we become washed clean and then we gain that um, perfection in God's eyes to have access into heaven. You know, it's important for us to know that by our own abilities, our own strengths, or our own efforts, that we can never become perfect. We can never become good enough to enter into heaven. The only way that we we are good enough 
to enter into heaven is because of what Christ did on the cross and what the Holy Spirit does inside our lives. Not by our own hand, but by God, we can enter, we can have that that inheritance, that hope of eternal life. Romans eight thirteen says, "If by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your body, you will live." So when we put to death our old self. The same picture, just another another uh, reference for it. We put to death our old life, and at the same time. We are showing God that we want to turn our back on sin, put our face to Him, and that we call repentance. When we turn our back to sin and our eyes to God. 1 Corinthians 6.11 says, But you were washed, uh, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord and by, this, by the Spirit of our God. And also in First Peter one and one one and two, he says to the pilgrims, elect according to the foreknowledge of God and Father, and sanctific- sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and the sprinkling of the Father. Uh, the verse continues on, but I like to point out there that as Peter's writing that, he's saying that our our sanctification. Or sorry, um, it's these two verses combined are giving us uh, this this picture that it is by the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit working together that bring us to this washing, this sanctification. Uh, the Father, He sent His Son. He offered up His Son as a sacrifice to be our Savior. Jesus paid the price, paid the penalty on the cross to make salvation available. And as we are uh, placing our faith in Jesus, the Holy Spirit cleans us out spiritually. So it's the the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit all working together that is what we, we become saved, we become washed clean. Um, in, in that moment of salvation, receiving eternal life, and then on an everyday basis, it's the Father, Son, Holy Spirit working together. And typically when we think about being born again, we think about this we're talking about. Thinking about this this new life that we get with the Holy Spirit. This new life that um, we've put to death our old life and received a new life. But this, this uh, topic of regeneration and rebirth has also happened in the Old Testament too. But it's, it's different for the Old Testament, as we're going to see. In John chapter 3, Jesus explains to Nicodemus that he must be born again. So in, verse, or in John 3, 9 and 10, uh, fragmented, uh, Nicodemus asks, how can these things be? And Jesus, and Jesus answered and said, aren't you a teacher of Israel? Do you not know these things? So in that little question there, Jesus lets us know that that this this topic of rebirth, being born again, Nicodemus should have already known about this, which means that him as a teacher of Israel, 
should have known him and teaching about uh, being born again. So, rebirth, the spiritual rebirth, has been already a thing back in the Old Testament. Deuteronomy 30, 30, verse 6, And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. Uh, this is Moses here. He's talking to the Israelites before they enter in the promised land. And he's telling them, telling them that they're going to uh, be, or that God is going to spiritually circumcise them. And you wonder what does, what does that look like? We see in Ezekiel, he describes what that looks like uh, in chapter 11, verse 19 and 20. Then I will give uh, them one heart and I will put a new spirit within them and take the stony heart out of the flesh and give them an, give them a heart of flesh that they may walk in my statutes and keep my judgments and do them. And they shall be my people and I will be their God. Then he says in uh, in Ezekiel 36, 26 through 39, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. I will deliver you from your uncle- your uncleanness. Uh, so this this spiritual circumcision, this renewing of the heart in the Old Testament, um, the Holy Spirit is doing this to people in the Old Testament, but it's not being done forcefully. Uh, we need to know that God never forces us to be obedient to him he never forces us to love him he never forces us to do anything he he encourages us he guides us he shows us that we should and we need to but god never forces uh, this regeneration on us Um, but back in ezekiel 11 the the next verse after the one we read after the verse we read earlier ezekiel 11 21 it continues and says but as for those whose hearts follow the, follow the desires of their detestable things and their abominations, I will, I, will re- I will recompense their deeds on their own heads, says the Lord. Uh, recompense their deeds means to pay for their actions. So God is saying here in Ezekiel 11.21 that their hearts will determine whether they have that regeneration or not. Uh, what they follow after, what they, what they desire after, that will determine whether the Holy Spirit will come and renew them or not. 1 Samuel 16, 14 says, But the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a distressing spirit of the Lord troubled him. Um, if, you, if you know... Saul was the king of Israel back. Uh, he was the first king of Israel, and when he began, when he began being a king, he was a man after God, and that's why God um, had him be the king. And there's a whole other study that goes with that, which we won't have time for. But as Saul was the king, 
uh, the Holy Spirit was with him. But at the end of Saul's life, Saul's heart changed. Uh, Saul's uh, relationship with God changed, and the Lord de- or the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. You know, this difference between the Old Testament and New Testament on how you get the Holy Spirit. Um, or sorry, hold on. <laughs> um, rewind what I said. But uh, in the in the New Testament, um, being born again, the person receives that eternal life. However, in the Old Testament, they're, uh, they are a child of God, but salvation wasn't available in the, in the Old Testament. So they weren't washed clean. They did, not, they did not receive eternal life in the Old Testament, but they became a child of God. And God uh, looked out for them. God provided for them. And as we mentioned last week, and the last two studies actually, that in the Old Testament, when the saints, uh, when they did the animal sacrifices and animal offerings, they were merely uh, covering their sins on a, on a temporary basis. Um, they had to renew that yearly. Um, I didn't mention that verse last week, but um, Hebrews 10 is where we read it at uh, Hebrews ten one through four it says for the law with the with these same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year can never make those who approach perf- who approach perfect but in those sacrifices there is a reminder of sins every year for it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins so we so we saw last week and and two weeks ago that through uh, animal sacrifices that salvation was not possible, that that the washing away of sins was not possible. What it simply did was um, to cover their sins until the following year. And they did it continually every year as a reminder of their sin. So that's why we talked about last year, or last week, that Jesus came because he was the perfect equal sacrifice to bring salvation. And then continuing, um, going to Isaiah 53, 5. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we were healed. So it was by the price that he paid that we received salvation. So how that connects to what we're talking about now with the Holy Spirit is that what the Holy Spirit was doing back in the Old Testament was people became a child of God, but they still weren't washed clean truly. They were, they were given a new heart. They were given... Um, what was that verse? In Ezekiel, uh, their stony heart was removed. They're given a new spirit um, so that they can walk in God's statutes. So 
it was to help them be a better child of God. But for us in the New Testament, or since Christ died on the cross and brought salvation, we have the benefit of actually having our, wa- our sins washed away. Our, um, God says that when our sins are forgiven, they're cast as far as the east is to the west. They're thrown in the bottomless pit. Um, they're never reachable again. You know, God erases that from, from his memory. Because he loves us, he casts that away. And, and with that package deal, the Holy Spirit works in our lives and washes us clean from the inside. And on a daily basis, we can have our sins washed away. Um, you know, Jesus died on the cross. He died for our sins and we're washed clean. But we're going to sin again and again and again since becoming a Christian. And that's what's so neat about the Holy Spirit is He's there for us on a daily basis to wash us clean again and again and again because we are, we are stupid human beings with sin nature that we continually draw towards sin. And the Holy Spirit is in us to help us with that. And in that, we get our next, our next point of uh, the Holy Spirit in us in his restraint. And he actually restrains us from complete sin. And th- this topic here, um, as I was studying through this and making these notes, um, I, I've, I've known this, but it's never come to light in this way before. And it's really neat to see what God does in this aspect here. But there in Genesis 6-3, the Lord says, My spirit shall, shall not strive with man forever, for he is indeed flesh. And then two verses later, it says, The Lord saw the wickedness of man uh, that was great in the, on the, in the earth. And that every intent of their thoughts, of their hearts, was only evil continually. So, he's referencing to how the earth was and how the people were before our um, Noah's Ark and and the flood. Um, The people of the earth, except for Noah and his family, they were completely wicked. They were... Uh, it describes that there, if you go back and read the rest of those verses in that in that context, but the Holy Spirit says that he will not strive with man forever. He will not um, be in man forever. It says down there in Matthew 24, he's going to say, or Jesus will say that um, before the tribulation, the earth again will be as it was at that point. So it says there in verse 24, Matthew 24, 37 through 35, but as the days of Noah were, so also were the coming of the sons of man, son of man be. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day uh, that Noah entered the ark. And they did not know until the flood came and took them all away so also the coming of the Son of Man will be. So then jumping up to uh, 2 Thessalonians 2, 3 through 8, 
the, the thought continues. It says, For that day will, will not come unless the fallen away comes first and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. And you will know uh, what is restraining uh, that he may be revealed in, in his own time. For their mystery of law, lawless, lawlessness is already at work. Only he who restrains will also or will do so until he is taken away from them, and then the lawlessness law, ah, and the lawless one will be revealed. Okay, so before the flood, the Holy Spirit said he was going to leave uh, leave the people, and again we see that. The same thing will happen before the tribulation that we read about in Revelation. That the Holy Spirit will, will leave mankind. And it says there in Second Thessalonians, the verse we just read, that the day will not come until the fallen away comes first, referring to the Holy Spirit um, leaving people and their sin is revealed. So what's going to be happening is when the Holy Spirit leaves, the true sin nature comes out fully in mankind. Um, Man's sin is revealed. Son of perdition. It says there that for the mystery of lawlessness, lawlessness is already at work. So inside of humanity, there's that sin nature that's already at work. And as a Christian... The Holy Spirit is in us, putting at bay the full, the fullness of our sin nature. And then when the Holy Spirit's not inside us anymore, then our full sin nature can take over. And that's going to happen worldwide in, in, in the end times. That happened before Noah's flood. That's, so that will happen worldwide. But... It will happen on a on an individual basis um, per people's relationship with God. So the Holy Spirit doesn't stop people from sinning because, as we know, those of us who are who are saved and believe in God and have that relationship with God, we are still sinners as we are saved. So, as we grow closer to God, we'll be, we'll be, we will sin less, but we won't be sinless. Because the Holy Spirit is helping us sin less, but not stopping us from sinning because of that sin nature still inside of us. But eventually, um, God will give people up over to their sin. God will let people have their sin if that's what their heart is. And Romans one twenty four through twenty five says, Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanliness or uncleanness, in the lust of their heart to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who in, who exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than creator. For this reason God gave them gave them up to their vile passions. Also in Psalm eighty one twelve says, so I gave them over to their own stubborn heart to walk in their own counsels. So, 
the Holy Spirit will eventually give people up to their sin. That if, if a person doesn't want righteousness, they don't want um, goodness, they don't want God, they don't want to uh, obey God, they don't want that relationship with God, God will give them up to their own sin. God will let them have what they want. And that without the Holy Spirit to to restrain sin, the, their false in nature has nothing to stop them. On the reverse side, in Matthew 5, 6, says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they will be filled. So for those of us who do love God, who do uh, want to please Him and be obedient to Him, if we hunger and thirst after righteousness, what is good and what is pleasing to God, we will be filled. That word filled there is referring to like a, a complete, um, being complete as a human, being complete in our, our, our wants and needs. And that, you know, what, what better way to be complete, or the only way to be truly complete, is to have God in us, working through us, and making us righteous. You know, we're always lacking something, and that's more of God. We always have room for more God. And we will be, we will, we will be filled with God if we hunger and thirst for righteousness. So, the Holy Spirit will be in us, doing that work in us. Uh, if we want him, if we have that desire for him. But those who thirst after wickedness, they don't have the Holy Spirit. They don't have that restraint. They don't have the Holy Spirit to help fight against sin. You know, it's um, spiritual warfare. Spiritual warfare is the Holy Spirit and and what's... Um, My brain is not functioning tonight. <laughs> but spiritual warfare is the, the spirit and the flesh fighting against each other. And the, the closer we are to God, the stronger our spirit is to fight against evil. The lack of any spirit at all means that the flesh has full control of our lives. And we, we see that in people who don't have jesus who don't have the spirit they don't have anything to restrain them from their full sin nature and we need to be cautious and we need to be be aware that we need the holy spirit in our lives because we can't get through this life on our own we can't get through our daily um just any, any just our regular situations in life our problems trying to go through that by ourselves without the Holy Spirit, trying to get through temptations without the Holy Spirit, we're going to fail every time. So it's it's important for us to realize what God is doing in our hearts and in our lives and that the Holy Spirit is such a huge help. That's why Jesus called the Holy Spirit a helper because he literally helps us not to sin more. Philippians 3, uh, 20 and 21 says, 
for our citizenship is in heaven, which we also eagerly, eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies that we may conform to his, glorif- to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able to subdue all things in himself. You know, we, we need the Holy Spirit's restraint on sin in our lives. However, when we get to heaven, God is going to give us a brand new glorious body that is sin-free. And this part of the Holy Spirit won't be needed anymore because if there's no sin, there's no need to restrain sin. And that's a beautiful thing that we get to... um, we get to be perfect because God makes us perfect in heaven and we don't have to worry about sin in eternity. So no sin nature, nothing to restrain. So that's a good thing. And the last thing here um, with the Holy Spirit in us is that he redirects us. You know, again, our, our sin nature is pulling us further from God, but the Holy Spirit brings us back, points us to God. You know, before being a Christian, the Holy Spirit points us to the Messiah. But as a Christian, as already received salvation from the Messiah, the Holy Spirit then just then directs us through life as a child of God. John sixteen thirteen, or sorry sixteen thirteen says, "However, when He, the Spirit of Truth, has come, He will guide you in all truth." Psalm 139, 7-12 says, Where can I go from your spirit, or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take my wings of morning and dwell in the utmost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, Surely the darkness shall follow me, even the night shall be light about me. Indeed, the darkness shall not hide from you. But the night shines as day, the darkness and light are both alike you. So he's describing there, uh, David's describing there in Psalms that the Holy Spirit is always with us. The Holy Spirit is like day and night where it's always day and night somewhere. We can never get away from the Holy Spirit, which is a good thing. Uh, We can't run away from the Holy Spirit. We can't hide somewhere. The Holy Spirit's always there with us. And it's a it's an awesome thing to know that when we have him, like we read earlier, uh, God seals the Holy Spirit in us. And it's such an encouragement for us to know that we will never be alone. We will never have to go and figure out life for ourselves, try to find out what we need to do in life on our own thinking. But we always have the Holy Spirit to guide us through life. Romans 8 14 and 16 says, For as many are, as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. The, the Spirit himself bears witness uh, with our spirit that we are children of God. So we have the, the reverse order listed here. Before we saw that, if you have Jesus, then you also get the Holy Spirit. Uh, Paul writes here in Romans that if you are led by the Spirit, that's evidence that you are already a son of God. So, we have evidence of our faith, of our salvation, by where we are in life, by how we are walking. 
The Holy Spirit also helps us communicate with the Father. Romans 8, 26 and 27 says, Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weakness, for we do not know what we should pray, for we ought, or for as we ought. But the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot, cannot be uttered. Now who searches the heart, or sorry, now he who searches the heart knows that the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Now when we don't know what to pray, when we don't know how to pray, when we don't have the words, when we're just going blank in our mind, the Holy Spirit in us knows what we're trying to say. He knows our heart. And it says there that the Holy Spirit on our behalf talks to the Father for us. Um, it, it doesn't replace us praying with God. It's it's very important that we do talk to God, always talk to the Father. But in those times that we just can't get our words out for any reason, the Holy Spirit knows our hearts and the Holy Spirit will inter- intercede for us. In Galatians 5.25, it says, If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Uh, this kind of this adds on to what we talked about earlier. That as a believer... The Holy Spirit has given us new life and that, uh, and He leads us in that new life. You know, we're not just simply saved and God's like, okay, figure it out. And we're left on our own to try to uh, become righteous. That's not how it works. That's why we have the Helper. He leads us in this new life that we're given. And our walk, as we mentioned earlier, is evidence of of that we are, our, our walk and how we live is evidence that we are led by God, which is evidence that we have the Holy Spirit in us, which is evidence that we are saved. Galatians 5, 22 and 23 says, and it describes that walk, what it looks like, or what it should look like. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And these are the evidences that the Holy Spirit's um, direction is there in our life. If we truly are being led by God, then we need to be acting like these things, like these descriptions of love. God's love is what proves that we are being led by the Holy Spirit, which proves what, or that we have the Holy Spirit, which proves that we have Jesus in our hearts. If we follow the Holy Spirit's guidance, our lives should look like Galatians 5. And then lastly, the last part of the Holy Spirit that involved in our lives is that He's upon us. So we have the Holy Spirit with us uh, before we are saved. We have the Holy Spirit in us, uh, regenerating us, making us, uh, making us perfect. As Philippians 1, 6 says that God's going to be working through our lives. This, this is paraphrased. Um, working in our lives to make us perfect until we get to heaven and be perfect. And the third way is the Holy Spirit is upon us.
um, the Holy Spirit has been upon people, Old Testament and New Testament. Um, but in the Old Testament, they received it in a different way than we receive it in the New Testament. The Old Testament Holy Spirit being upon people was was selective and temporary f- to accomplish God's goal in their life at that period in time. And then when um, the Holy Spirit finished doing that work in that person's life, the Holy Spirit would leave, or the empowering of the Holy Spirit would leave that person. They would still, they would still have the presence of the Holy Spirit if they loved God, but the empowering of the Holy Spirit would only be on them for a select um, and temporary time. I have there in the notes um, a few passages there of some uh, some well known well, some some well known stories. Uh, you can read them on their own. But moving down to the most important person before the uh, Christ's ascension is we see Jesus himself receive the power of the Holy Spirit in Matthew three sixteen and 17. It says, When he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighted upon him. And a sudden voice came from heaven, saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Um, as we spoke about last week, Jesus became human. He became man to be that equal sacrifice for us. And as he did that, he set aside his, his God abilities to be like us. He was still God, but set aside his abilities of God to become human. So as human, in order to be able to accomplish um, the supernatural... He had to also be empowered by God, empowered um, um, by the Holy Spirit to accomplish what he did. So as, as you read through the Gospels and you see everything that, that Jesus did, he, he did because he was empowered by the Holy Spirit. And after Christ's ascension to heaven, um, we, we have now a new way of receiving the Holy Spirit. Um, he talks about, before he dies, he talks about what's going to be happening for the disciples, for us. He says in Luke eleven nine through 13, So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened. Knock and it will be, knock, sorry. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. He who seeks and finds. He who knocks, it shall be opened. If the son asks for bread, um, uh, from any father among you, and you will give him a, so, a stone. Or he asks for a fish, and you give him a serpent instead of fish. Or if he asks of an egg, will you offer him a scorpion? If then, being evil, how do you... Uh, sorry. If then, being evil, you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask of him? So we receive the power of the Holy Spirit by simply asking God for it. Later in Luke, in twenty four forty nine, he says, Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you, until you are endued with 
the power of on high. So it's so important that we have the Holy Spirit's power before we do any sort of work for God. Um, the best way I explain this to the, to the kids that I teach is that um, ministry is like our spiritual job in a way. And in order to do a spiritual job, you need spiritual power. And you can't do a spiritual job with physical power. So we must have spiritual power to accomplish our spiritual job. So before we go out and do any sort of ministry, we need to first have the power from on high. And God, uh, the Son of God, Jesus here, tells them before they go to tarry, to wait. And that is because um, God wants to show us through their lives how to get the Holy Spirit. And it is through asking, but it's also where our heart is at. God wants us to know as the reader to know that to get the Holy Spirit as we ask, we need to be sincere and devoted in wanting the Holy Spirit. So as we looked, uh, we don't have time to actually read the verses, but if you read in Acts chapter 1, you'll see that um, they waited in the upper room for 10 days before the Holy Spirit came. And in those 10 days, 120 people showed up to wait for the Holy Spirit. And to have that many people, and I don't know how small the upper room was, but I couldn't imagine it was that big, but have 120 people crammed in a, in a little room waiting for 10 days. Uh, I don't know what they did for food, but they were there for 10 days just waiting and praying and having little Bible studies and praying and just waiting on the Lord. And that shows their determination and their dedication and their sincere desire to have the Holy Spirit's power upon them because they want to share the love of God to other people. And they know they can't by their own strength. So they're, they're, they're eagerly waiting for the Holy Spirit. And likewise with us, we don't need to wait 10 days for the Holy Spirit's power, but God wants us to know that when we ask for it, it needs to be sincere. It needs to be, that, it needs to be genuine, that we really truly want the, uh, God's power and for the right reasons. Uh, the whole purpose behind receiving God's power is to be able to go out and share the gospel and do it and to bring glory to God. There's two passages there that describe or that show some of um, the many gifts that God has. Um, Romans 12, 6 through 8 and 1 Corinthians 12, 7 through 11 um, is listed there some of the spiritual gifts that God will give people to bring him glory and to bring people to him. You can read that on your own. But once we receive power from God, spiritual gifts, First um, Peter 4.10, it says, As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold of the grace of God. Then in verse in First Corinthians four two, moreover it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. So in those two verses we see that if you have a spiritual gift, 
then we must use it uh, for God's glory, to be faithful in, in using it, to not waste it. Um, I don't have it on my notes here. There's one more verse there. Um, no, no, it's right there. In Luke 19, um, I didn't put the whole passage there because it's, it's long, but there's the parable of the minus. And if you read through that parable, um, the point that Jesus is making is that when God gives us a gift and we don't use it, God's going to give that gift to someone else. And then they'll, they'll be using your gift and their gift. The point is, you know, when we receive that gift from God, it's, it is a gift and God wants us to use that gift to not keep it to ourselves, to not, to not waste it, let it, leave it, you know, locked away in a closet. But when God gives us a gift to utilize it, to use it, um, it's for the purpose of bringing people to Christ and to, to bring people the knowledge of Jesus. So we must use what God's given us. And lastly, as we use the gifts that God's given us, as we are out there in the world showing God's glory through His Holy Spirit, we need to remember what it says in 1 Peter 4.11. It says, If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. And as we're out there in the world, using the gifts that God's given us, being empowered and doing what we can't do on our own, we need to always point people to the glory of God, to to bring people to Jesus through what He's doing in their lives. And it's so awesome to see the love of the Holy Spirit too. We saw the love of the Father, the love of the Son in the last two studies. And the love of the Holy Spirit is that He's He's always with us, always there to guide us, always there to draw us closer to God, to to wash us clean on, on a daily basis, and to help us through this life um, to be able to, to accomplish the goals that God's called upon us, to not leave us by ourselves, to figure lives, life out. And it's so awesome to see that, that in the Holy Spirit, we're never alone. We're never by ourselves. We're never um, to figure things out on our own. And, and when, you, when you look at the, the group effort of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we see truly that, that God's got every aspect covered on on us and all because of love it's all because god loves us he's done everything for us that we've seen so with that let's let's pray god we thank you so much god as we've seen through the last three weeks how much you do truly love us that you created us because you loved us that you you gave us life. You gave us this world to, to show us your love. And then as we are sinners by our own choice that you bring us salvation and you bring us a way out of our sin. You bring us a way to be with you forever. We thank you so much for that. 
We thank you that you don't leave us alone to figure life out on ourself, by ourselves. But as promised, you leave us with a helper. We can always uh, never be alone. We always have you. And I pray that we don't forget that, that we don't forget that you are there leading us and guiding us. That we always come to you for our needs, that we always come to you for direction. That we don't want to be like those, um, those stories in Genesis with Abraham trying to figure out life on his own and he makes his life worse because he tries to fix his own problems. That we want to be always looking to you, always coming to you for direction and listening to you. That we have the fruit of the Spirit in our lives, that we have evidence that we are your, child, your children. God, help us draw closer to you. We thank you so much for everything you've done for us and all that you are to us. We pray this all in your name. Amen.